welcome to the Red Room Podcast. And I am very excited this week to welcome a guest here, Joe Mayall. And Joe is a freelance writer who covers the intersection of culture, entertainment, and politics. His work has appeared in the Progressive Magazine, Irish Central, and Sci-Fi.com. You can find his writing at JoeWrote.com. But before you do any of that, check out this conversation, because today we are going to be talking about Yellowstone in 1883. Joe, welcome. I'm in love with this show. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I'm um, psyched to be here and always psyched to talk about Yellowstone. It's uh, I don't think I've enjoyed a TV series as much, like uh, probably since like the since the Sopranos. I would say really would be, like, the last thing that really um, captivated me so much. Yeah, um, and I have a couple like thoughts on why I enjoy it so much. Um, I think sometimes like I love sci-fi, fantasy, right? Like I I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who hasn't interacted with Game of Thrones in the past ten years or something. But I think sort of the more um, realistic dramas where like, uh, you know, you can kind of relate to a little bit more. Um, those really tend to pull me in a little bit because um, mm. I, I I actually watched this show Yellowstone. I think in the past two months, I, I kind of got a, the NBC streaming service and just binged it. Um, and I, I really don't think I've done that since, uh, since the Sopranos. When you say ago, binge, so. do you mean like multiple a day or one a day? Um, I think at one point I went through, I think I watched the first half of season two, which was like five episodes in a Saturday. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and I, I usually don't do that. Right. I think there's, there's something, like I'm really enjoying 1883 where it comes out like one at a time, right? Yeah. Almost like the the old school, like you got to watch it at Sunday at 8 p.m. Um, yeah. I really like that. I think there's benefit to that. Um, but I just found myself um, kind of flying through Yellowstone, like couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super psyched to uh, to kind of nerd out on it and, and talk through it. No, totally. And, I, and I, I feel the same with you. For me, it was it reminded me a lot of Sons of Anarchy, which I thought was just an outstanding show. Mm. Very similar in themes, you know, the, the generational stuff, which we're going to we're going to hop into here in a moment. But I really love the way that you broke this three part article down. And for those who don't know, Joe writes on Substack and you should definitely go subscribe to a Substack because I think it's uh, it's compelling in a way that's not offensive. It's engaging. I feel like, you know, there was a place for for all ideas and what you were laying out there but the things that you're talking about in the first subject is called yellowstone land class and race comma capital so that that really does lay out where you take the show and why it's so important for people to think beyond just the drama on their screen like think about the subtext and what's going on so help me out what prompted you first to write about this show it's one thing to love it it's it's another thing to write about it yeah definitely um well, I'd be lying if I said that my inspiration to write from it didn't come from my love, right? Like I, I spent a lot of time writing the, these three articles and I think if it was a show I didn't care for, I would be gotten so bored and, and not cared. Um, the reason why like I really see um, like these, these, three, these three ties to, uh, to reality and especially the American reality um, is because I think that like those are like good storytelling, in my opinion, comes from conflicts, right? Like um, characters having to weigh decisions and being put in situations where there really is no no easy answer. Um, and I think Taylor Sheridan, the creator of uh, Yellowstone in 1883, and I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about this later, about his intent here, um, really identified these conflicts that are very present in our in our society, in our everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, the first one that I wrote about is, is land, right? Like if you watch Yellowstone, um, especially I think in the earlier seasons a little bit more, um, the indigenous people, Native Americans, whatever uh, preferred term you want to use, are very present in the show. Yeah. And the kind of central conflict of Yellowstone is this family trying to keep their, what they view as their land, right? The Yellowstone land ranch, um, but right present in this story is the very population that they took it from. So there's this contradiction of John Dutton doing everything in his power to protect this land, save it for his grandchildren, right? He made a promise to his dad that he'd never sell an inch of it. Um, and that's a really compelling story. But there's also this huge contradiction of how this man and his family grapples with the fact that 
they took this land from other people. Mm -hmm. So what right do they have to preserve it to some sense? And I think like the show does a great job of illustrating that without just saying it, right? Like I think um, the storytelling is very apparent that the writers and the creator is trying to make the audience think about this without really telling what they believe. Um, I don't see Yellowstone as trying to lecture its audience. I see it as presenting the audience with a situation, creating these awesome characters and, and letting it go from there. Right. And everyone can sort of make their own moral and value judgments. Um, and I, I really think that's why the show has such, such popularity and why, you know, we're approaching season. Well, we just finished up season four. So I'm saying we, like I wrote the show. Um, <laughs> Yellowstone just fi- finished up season four and I'm still like very compelled with it. And I yeah. think that that kind of con that, that central conflict that isn't going away anytime soon um, is one of the reasons why this show is, is so good. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you, you really nail it on this one. And it's, it's one of those things that if, if you say it out loud, they'd probably pull it off TV. But the, the truth is that the moral crime of, what it took to, you know, put land tracks in this country and sell it off uh, is something that we pay for every day. I mean, you pay for a moral crime over generations, right? Whether it's slavery or the genocide of Native Americans, the seizure of the land, whatever it is, like that moral crime is paid for eventually down down the road. And so right, right in the beginning, we are in the middle of what is a critical American problem today. And and regardless of whether people don't want to believe it or not, or don't want to recognize it or not, it's there. And it's like gravity. You jump off the edge of a cliff, you think you're going to fly and you might for a few seconds, (laughs) but, but eventually gravity takes over and and very similar to this. There's a gravity at pull here from the moral crime of what this family had to commit to take this land. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm sure we'll touch on this later as we, um, get into the the more capital aspects of the discussion but like a big theme in the show is inheritance right the duttons are constantly talking about their ancestors they're talking about future generations and while they're speaking it in the um physical inheritance of like the wealth and the assets and the land itself there's also right you these people have both the duttons and um the crow the tribe have inherited a bunch of trauma Um, what you could call baggage, right? Like, um, you know, uh, when it comes to big societal problems such as uh, ethnic cleansing, genocide, like that doesn't really go away. People hold grudges, um, rightfully so in some cases, I would say. Um, And that gets into the larger conversation of like, okay, how how do we repair this damage? And can we repair this damage that the United States of America inflicted on this indigenous population while still sort of preserving the aspects of American life that have sprung from that, right? Mm-hmm. Such as whether it's the Dutton's Ranch or the sort of, um, how should I say, like transplant development type, right? Um, yep. They're building ski resorts and stuff like that. Like, can we preserve that while repairing the damage and and helping the, the people we harmed? Um, and I think that like creates such a, a compelling narrative. Uh, it's something that the show grapples with. It's certainly something yeah. <laughs> the United States is still grappling with. Sure. Um, yeah. And I, I just think that it's like a great, a great lens to, to really examine this problem through. And I think obviously about other shows like succession and there's a couple other ones that, and I would say like six feet under even that dealt with this idea of passing down generational wealth through acquisition, mm-hmm. through crime, whatever it is. Sopranos was, was another, another example. You know, how, how do you pass power down from one generation to the next when the power has so corrupted the wealth that it's like uh, they're taking the ring you know, from, from the Lord of the Rings? Yeah. It absolutely corrupts you just by being in its presence. So what is a culture to do? And I feel like we haven't even started talking about characters, by the way. This is just <laughs> the situation of the show. Yeah. Um, and you start throwing compelling characters into that. And now we've got an alchemy that I think is on fire. And that's why you and I binged the show and, and are, are talking about it even today. Would you agree? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think that's why there was an appetite for 1883. Um, right. Like, 1883, I think the the actual name is 1883, a, a Yellowstone origin story, yeah. right? And 
Um, I do think like the characters in 1883, which is set, you know, over a century before share the name, but we don't really hear about them in Yellowstone. We hear John Dutton say, I think like my great, great grandfather settled this land. Um, And that's why, you know, 1883 is right off the bat. Like I think very successful, Um, got a huge budget from, from Paramount. Like if you watch it, that's, that's very apparent. They did not cut corners on this. Right. Um, and I think it's because like we, we, the audience all recognize that this story does not start in, in 2000. I think the show started 2017. I want to say yeah. like, that's not, that's not the beginning of this. Right. It's almost like I could totally see a world where 1883 came first. And then they're like, sure. you know what, let's do a modern day sequel. What does this look like now? Yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's like yeah. a kind of a white version of Roots in many ways, you know, you know where, where we're starting to see the seeds of all this trauma that were sown so far yeah. back, and, and it is trauma. Eighteen eighty three is filled with trauma, and you know that there are honestly no enemies at this point, but there's also not a whole lot of people to root for, you know, which is yeah. an interesting. That's an interesting situation in a show. Yeah, a hundred percent, and you know, this is certainly not a justification of the crimes or anything, but you understand why John Dutton says like, look at everything the Dutton family has sacrificed for this land. Right. Like watching 1883, like I, um, I'm, I think I watched up to episode five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I saw last night or I didn't see last night. I haven't episode, seen last but, night either, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm with you. Awesome. Yeah. But like there hasn't really been um any big attacks or anything there there's been some like uh some how should i say like um uh what is this the term they use like small scale bandits and stuff like that but i think the what everyone's waiting for is when this caravan runs into the the indigenous population that they will eventually yeah yeah definitely yeah and it's it's just like um you know we haven't even gotten to the, what we would call like a battle yet, a right. real conflict. And these people are dying like flies. They're, dr- they're drowning the river in rivers. The, yeah. Oh my God. I, I don't think I've ever seen like so many, so much hardship and heartbreak mm-hmm. on screen, like without a, some sort of like a uh, human agent inflicting it. Right. Like, I don't think I've ever seen such a, a natural, a natural, uh, this is a weird word, like a natural killing with that, like really tugged at my heartstrings so much. Yeah. yeah. And so you understand why the Duttons are sitting here. Like we sacrificed so much to be here. We being the the larger um, multi-generational family. Um, And they, they see themselves in the right, which comes back to that, that conflict we were talking about earlier. They're, they're kind of a contradiction. Um, Yeah. And I mean, to dive into the characters a little bit, like, I think the characters on the show are, are so good. Um, they are very well written and very, um, I think on the, the surface level, they're very like, you could almost sum them up on a post-it, but mm-hmm. that's not what the, the writers wrote, right? They wrote real characters with conflicting um, values and um, beliefs and opinions and and personalities, right? With yeah. with huge backstories that that we learned um, throughout the seasons. I think if you like watch the first couple episodes, you'd be like, Casey is the cowboy, Jamie is the lawyer, uh, yeah. Beth is. She starts out as like a she left the ranch, she moved to L.A., Salt Lake City. She is the like it's kind normal. of modern person. Yeah, right. And as, as the, the seasons have worn on, we've seen that like these characters are much more than their, their, uh, their surface, their, their first impressions, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. That idea that I I believe that Beth met her, uh, sexual assaulter at one point. Is that correct? Am I, am I getting that mixed up? Like it was a friend of her father's. I feel like. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry to spoil that for anybody, but too bad. You got to put up with it. That, that (laughs) idea of all of that trauma, every one of these characters does exactly what David Milch from Deadwood used to preach about, which is spin against the way they drive. So if they drive forward, there's something inside of them Mm. that, that pulls them this way. And that conflict is what's interesting. It's the only thing that's worth watching in drama, in, in my opinion. And they do it so well with every one of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I think someone explained this show to me, uh, like when it first came out, is like, 
oh, it's a it's a ranch family where all the kids like left, right? Like um, Casey went into the it's implied the Navy SEALs and he was in Afghanistan. Beth went to L.A. Jamie went to uh, Harvard and then they come back. And I was listening to them and I was like, that's like, okay, I could see how there'd be something there. Right. Like, how does a Harvard lawyer run a ranch? But that is that's not it. Um, And I I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really I wasn't really compelled to watch it at the time. I think that was when the the first season came out. And then I gave it another shot recently and I, I found it was just it was so much more than that. And in defense to that person, I think they watched the first like two or three episodes and were like, Oh yeah, there's something here. Um, but then it's like, as you watch, you realize that while a lot of these, um, a lot of the, the Dutton family, the, the clan, if you want to call it that went and became more, more modern, more recognizable to, to what we consider to be like, normal professions Mm -hmm. common professions i guess i would say like the that that trauma stayed with them and it it almost like uh i heard someone describe like this type of character development once as like their phantom pain right so when um people who lose limbs fingers whatever they can still they still feel their missing finger scratch or something like that um these dutton children have the the phantom pain that even though they've left the yellowstone ranch Beth remembers um, her mother's death. Um, they, Jamie and Beth, both remember um, circumstances surrounding an abortion Beth had. Um, they certainly remember their romantic partners from from this era. Um, and I, I think that's just you know, one. I think that's more human than the mm-hmm. average. Like, what happens when a a Navy SEAL comes back to his <laughs> ranch? Um, <laughs> which like. Might be a good sitcom, but like I don't know if it's gonna get like yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars in budget from Paramount. Yeah, right, 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 right. Um, I mean, I guess if, if you had to name the conflict to someone just to try and pitch them on the show, that certainly wouldn't have been the way that I would pitch it. It's a nice biographical breakdown of who they are, but for me, it's just like, listen, this guy's king of everything he sees. And his throne is turning into ashes around him. How can he protect his family and grab as much of his treasure and keep it as close as he can before it all just turns to dust in his mouth like that? That to me is the is the quest. And all these people are just looking for a little redemption, a little happiness, and not hardly any of them have it. Like, yeah, same with succession. How can you be so wealthy, have so many resources, and be so miserable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you mentioned succession, and I think that's like. Um, a great parallel to this. I definitely think secession is on the nose and is trying to tell its audience like a, a real point. Like I think the story writers have a, have a point about American capitalism they're trying to make. And I think Yellowstone is a little more um, ambiguous. And in, in my reading, um, I definitely kind of, I take it up as a critique, but I, I don't think it's, it's as heavy handed as, as secession is. Um, and I, I definitely get your, get your point about, um, John Dutton, right? I think I think one thing that's so interesting to me is that while you know I, I wrote these three articles very um, in strong criticism of, of John Dutton and everything he kind of represents, um, I think it's undeniable that he truly loves this this way of life and and the ranch. And I think that's that's very interesting, right? I think the majority of people in in that situation would do what Beth suggests you do, which is sell the ranch. And I think she says like, sell the ranch, make a billion dollars, move to Oklahoma and your great grandkids will never have to work. Right. And I think that would be the majority of what people would do. But this man truly loves, like he loves the nature aspect of it. He loves his, his family's legacy. Um, He takes care of his people, the ranchers. Yeah. 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 Um, A hundred percent. Um, he definitely views it as more than just, again, like not to, not to harp on it. He's a contradiction. He views it as much more than just a way to make money. Um, but the, the wealth and the, and the, um, how should I say the, the power aspects of, of being the largest ranch owner in this section of the, of the, of the country, like really, uh, kind of, um, draw out the flaws in him, in, in my, my opinion, it makes him do bad things, evil things. Um, but in some twisted way, like it, it comes from a, a place of love. What do you think it is about power that 
men of privilege just can't give give it up like dude you're gonna die anyway like you're mortal you're gonna die anyway yeah um that is you know that's like the the age-old question um in what comes to mind for me is that like whether you're thinking of someone like like john dutton or like a real life politician or something like that that's all they know so it's probably really scary um to be at the whims of other people, right? All John Dutton knows is how to survive when he can kind of call the shots, um, both with respects to his his agriculture business and also, you know, he the show does a great job of illustrating how his power seeps into, into politics, right? Um, and I think it's probably very terrifying to be in a situation where he is saying like, what happens if I can't like call the governor and get a problem fixed? Yeah. What happens if I, if I, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, like one of the things I, I think that the showrunners are very um, explicit about is that they don't really view John Dutton as a good guy. Oh. Right. Like, yeah, we, we see him do murder. Like, like it's nothing. Right. Like I, I remember in, I think it's season one, episode four, uh, spoiler coming here. He tells Rip to kill a ranch hand because the guy might have seen something that could later get him in trouble. Yeah. Right. And I think it's gangsters. Like when, yeah. Right. And when Beth is telling him like, Oh, just go be like some, just go be rich somewhere else. And like, just, just live your life, live your last 20 years. Um, he's probably terrified of what that is where he can't just kill someone to cover up a, right. a problem or, and I think that that's, that's very, that's probably, I've never really been in a position of, of actual power in my life. Right. Um, I avoid it at all costs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's probably very, very similar. It's the reason why politicians don't really like yeah. to retire. You know, they like to, they like to be in, in the Senate until they're 80, 90. Right. And I think yeah. it's probably, it's probably scary to not, not uh, know how like, actual people live without the ability to just imagine just being able to pick up a phone and say find me eleven thousand votes yeah yeah <laughs> you know like what's the hubris of a person yeah. who picks up a phone and says that on a recording exactly line? yeah um, um and I, I think that um that's why they they cling to it and even they they cling to it way past like we were talking about the sopranos earlier tony soprano like that show is kind of about you know the, the decline of what was once a um, a really powerful entity, organized crime. Yeah. And even when it's, you know, the FBI is cracking down on them and they used to have so much control and now they can't even shake down a Starbucks and they refuse to give it up. They right. just like, we'd rather intimidate the Starbucks guy and not get any money from him than just say, Hey, let's, uh, I don't know, let's get into real estate or something like that. It's interesting. It's a very, it's, I feel like it's a European concept is starting to seep into American art, whereas there are certain problems where killing someone or intimidating someone or manipulating someone are not going to solve the problem. Like you're going to have to rise above and beyond and actually have a human connection with someone in order to, mm. to resolve whatever issue it is. And I feel like there's that at play. It's, it's deep and subverted inside of Yellowstone. But at some point, someone's going to damn well have to tell someone else that they really love them. <laughs> and mean it you know what I mean so that they feel it because there's a lot of that like people just don't there's no trust between a lot of these characters yeah yeah I, I think one of the more interesting aspects was in one of the later seasons where um John Dutton Thomas Rainwater who is sort of the the tribal leader who is who is trying to acquire the Yellowstone and um I cannot remember his name who is the gentleman who is trying to develop um, yeah, um, was that the first season, wasn't it? I think I so. His face. Yeah, I know. He's always, he's in a um, Dan Jenkins, um, and, and like they have to kind of come together and sort of like a a devil you know sure. type of um, agreement to fight against these these other uh, casino moguls who are coming in from uh, Texas, I believe. Um, and it's a weird moment where up until that point these three parties had been um very hostile to each other right constantly threatening each other uh making actual attempts on each other's lives violence is not uncommon right um they 
killed each other in some cases and they do have to come together and be like, okay, like kind of acknowledge this, this, this trust that the only thing they, they can kind of agree on is this new threat is worse than, than the ones they know. Um, and that's an interesting point about it being uh, kind of more prevalent in, in European art. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, um, but it's definitely something that I think is coming up a lot more in, in American television because it, it creates more compelling narratives than just yeah, like, yeah, these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. They're going to shoot each other and the good guys are going to win. Yeah. Totally. And I, and I play even Star Wars, you look at something like Star Wars and compare Boba Fett, which is, I think is an amazing show. The themes that are going on there, especially around the treatment of indigenous people mm. are far more, I would say, resonant than what we get out of the original Skywalker trilogy. And so just bringing it back to Yellowstone, like that, that idea of telling the story of the downtrodden and the indigenous races of people that mm-hmm. are manipulated and rolled over, you know, time and time again, what is your history with, uh, with like studying Native Americans and their history in, in America? Yeah, um, that's always something I've been super fascinated with. Um, full disclosure, I am not a historian. Um, I studied uh, Islamic history in school. Okay. And um, after school, I, I really kind of just like, you know, in a, in a personal sense, dove into Native American history just because um, it's something I'm really fascinated by. And, I, and at least in, in my experience, I feel like the, the typical American education did not do a good enough job um, educating me about that. Um, quick recommendations. I super recommend to anyone listening, if they're interested, uh, the book 1491, um, that's about like what native life was like right before, uh, Christopher Columbus and the Europeans, uh, landed in, uh, 1492. Um, I should, I've uh, seen the title before and now I'm going to put it on my list. Um, Charles C. Mann. Um, yeah, it's, it's very good. I, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm sorry. I, I just went on a little, uh, no, okay. little I asked about what was your with, Na- with Native American. Studies. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So nothing like formal. Um, I definitely say like that has been, I think I'm a, I'm a big fan of history. That's kind of been where my focus has been for the past, um, two years ago. Um, I guess bringing it back to Yellowstone, um, one of the things I think, one of the reasons I believe that Taylor Sheridan is, in some ways trying to at least get the audience to think about the American circumstance we're seeing is how much, how big a spotlight he shines on, on these people. Right. Um, I think it would be very easy to say, kind of cut out like all the, all the stories of Casey and Monica Casey's wife, who is a, a crow woman and sort of just focus on Thomas Rainwater, who is, you know, we definitely see, Thomas Rainwater, who is very rich, very prestigious, right? He kind of runs the casino. And, but we also see the the lower class of of Native Americans, right? The people who don't have access to to the casino's wealth. Yes, exactly. And I think that is a very purposeful choice by the writers to show us both ends of that spectrum and really make us think about um, the effects that... um, you know, this, this story of the Duttons trying to keep their land, the effects of them keeping their land. I think in one of the pieces I wrote, I described Yellowstone as like the story of the Dutton family trying to keep their land in a world that doesn't want them to have it. And I think the more I think about it, the more I think it's also the story about the negative impacts or rather the impacts that this family holding onto this land um, keeps, whether that's the, the Native Americans or the the workers, the ranch hands, who uh, yeah. certainly have um, a very a very tough life as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm always on the lookout for themes of poverty in shows, just because you know, as a privileged white male, <laughs> it's it's really complex to talk about race in America. You know what I mean? Like I, I tend to defer nowadays mm. that conversation if it's about American race relations to the appropriate people who should have the voices mm. heard at the time. However, from a poverty perspective, that reaches across all classes, all races, all religions, all genders. Like that's to me the eugenical, you know, uh, bottom line for America. Yeah. If you're poor, someone's taking advantage of you. I mean, I feel like that's that's just it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Um, I really couldn't agree more. I think, you know, um, this show, it, like I, in, I think it was the second piece I wrote called, uh, I think, uh, race in class. And I, after talking about the natives, I kind of talk about how the show also really dives in a, a good portion of it, I would say takes place in what's called the bunkhouse where the, where the ranch hands live. And yep really interesting dynamic and i'm i'd love to hear uh, where the writers came up with this sort of idea of where some of the ranch hands are you know passerbys who sort of flow with the wind stop in work for a week or two and others are what they call branded men who have actually been branded with the yellowstone uh seal and are are there for life um i think that is a super interesting dynamic especially that that second class of the people who are who are locked into being workers for the rest of their life, right? Like you look at somebody like Rip, who um, is the, I guess you'd call him like the foreman. He, he kind of runs the, the hired hand yep. and he is branded and he is going to be in that he is very limited in how far he can rise. In the later seasons, he um, marries Beth. So he kind of becomes this, this quasi son to John Dutton, but when it comes to his actual uh, labor value to the ranch, yeah. he is, he, he has hit a ceiling. He cannot, there's no real like, Oh, I'm going to save my money, go buy some land elsewhere, start this up. He, and he's the one who says to, uh, to Jimmy, we're branded men. We die here. Mm -hmm. He is very aware that he is not, not rising above this, this, um, this certain socioeconomic level that has, has kind of been destined for him. Right. And I think that is a, a very interesting um, way to kind of posit a way that a lot of Americans live their lives as in they are wage workers. They um, we have this American dream of like, you know, you save up your money and uh, you can buy your own ranch. But in reality, that's, that's not oh, the way yeah. the cookie crumbles. Yeah. Um, in fact, the economy doesn't work unless there are all of those wage earners. Like it's just a hundred percent. Yeah. We're seeing, we're seeing yeah. There's, there's not enough land for everybody to owe land. I think John Dine at one point literally says like, we don't share land here or something like that. Um, and I, I'd love to, to hear your opinion on, you know, I keep going back and forth on whether these, these themes I'm, I'm running into are, are like explicitly called out by the writers and they are trying to say like, this is bad. Or if it's just sort of like, they're reflecting on the way yeah. way the american society is and just saying like hey audience you do what you want with this information how do you think that they kind of think well, I, I tend to not do the uh the auteur method where i really don't care what the director or the writers have intended and this just comes mm -hmm. from my studies of twin peaks like i just i get so sick of thinking about david lynch and i'm just like dude i don't care what he meant let me tell you what my reaction is from the work of yeah. on the screen. So I guess I kind of just, I go numb when I try and think about what writer's rooms intended and stuff like that. But I, I mm. do believe that it is a reflection of our mm. society and it, it's in such a compelling presentation that it allows us to see the, those things under the surface that we wouldn't necessarily see in our normal lives. So for example, you and I were brothers in a family and our parents were super wealthy and they were, you know, multiple homes and private jets mm. and, you know, we've got a trust fund and, and we have to now play this game of making sure that mommy and daddy are happy so they don't cut mm. us out of the will. And, you know, like that's a form of indentured servitude. It may not be yeah. as dramatic as what Rip is going through, but it's very similar. And, and there is a notion in America of know your place. Hope yeah. to get to the next place, but know your place and realize you're probably going to be there your entire life. You know, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, there's a really um, interesting dynamic that um, I'm I'm pretty involved in uh, in labor politics, and mm -hmm. there's a really interesting dynamic where, in a lot of very um, very prominent uh, businesses take like Walmart, for example, yeah. um, Walmart employees went from being Walmart workers to Walmart team members, right? Like mm -hmm. companies will refer to their workers as like part family. of the Walmart family, yeah. family. Yeah, totally. exactly. Yeah. Um, we're teammates here, right? It is, I used to work at a place where, um, they kind of identified everyone by the same name, the CEO who made $14 million in the year I made, I think, $40,000. We yeah. were all sort of 
bucketed under this this one term and it wasn't like owner worker manager it is um yeah like i'm with the yellow stuff yeah. negan. Right? like they're like from walking yeah. i'm negan <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um they're they are like kind of the way the help is their their class consciousness is a little is eroded um, to say like, I am branded, I am with the Yellowstone without really acknowledging the, or uh, really recognizing, I guess, the difference between someone like John Dutton, who profits off their labor, owns this land, gets in a private helicopter and flies to meet the, the mm. governor in, uh, in Jackson or something and, and themselves. And I, the more I think about it, the more like, I really like what you were saying about not really thinking about what the writers intended, because I definitely think they might not even realize they're doing it right. right. Um, it might be subconscious. Um, but I do think that is a holding a mirror up to the American worker as, as best you can and saying sure. like, Oh, we're all with the Yellowstone while John Dutton, like there is one scene I remember where he's like drinking coffee on his porch looking at his private helicopter as the ranch hands like ride off to do the day's work. And it just could not have been more stark totally. that like, even though everyone's with the Yellowstone, they are very different uh, situations. Yeah. I've, I've worked in companies where the CEO of has had a private elevator, you know, take them up to their, their office there. I've been, I've worked with customers that have done that as well. It's just like, okay, I understand. I see how you come. There's also <laughs> a religious element to it. You know, that, that idea of belonging to something to the point where you would brand it on your skin. I actually have a tattoo of my fraternity from when I was in college and I see it every day. And I'm just, you know, sometimes I'll think about it like, man, was that, was that worth it to be that associated? And in many ways it was. So I guess from the bunkhouse, that's where the life of the show is. The best yeah. part of the show happens in the bunkhouse. One hundred percent. Those are those are some of my favorite stories. Um, I think the character of Jimmy, the kind yeah. of um, he's like a, a a meth head who is, I believe, his grandfather asked John Dutton to brand him and like kind of save his life because Look he's one strike away from life in prison, that sort of thing. Um, I think those are like the most compelling, compelling stories of how Jimmy and the rest of them try and are, are trying to find purpose in this world. And as much as, you know, I think the show illustrates how these people are mistreated, they absolutely love uh, the Yellowstone. There are a few exceptions, uh, most notably Walker, who is um, very mistreated and comes to comes to class because he he spent time in prison and he doesn't want to go back. So he won't do anything illegal. But the rest of them are are all aboard, like even after some horrible stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember the the Texas woman's name who they can't who oh, they yeah. can never understand. She is like uh, John Dutton fires her because she's a woman. Right. Like yeah. just totally sexist, like could never like so illegal, so wrong. And she like comes back the next day and is begging him for for her job back. because yeah. She loves it. Right. It's belonging for them. I'm sure I actually used to work on a farm and I, I totally understand like working with your hands, being out in nature, like how, how great and in some ways freeing that can feel. And they really like, they love, they could not love the Yellowstone more. And I'm sure a lot of that comes down to the fraternity, the camaraderie that they all share yeah. with each other. I mean, it's a system. It, it really is. It's an institution that does take care of people. It's not completely evil, but it does have mm. this moral corruption at its heart. And I guess, you know, very similar to America. <laughs> like yeah. we've got this moral corruption of the sin of slavery at the heart of our country. And, you know, but we've done a lot of great things as well. And so it's, it's very complex. It's not easy yeah. to just say the system is evil, tear it down. I mean, like, I, I, I just think it's a great microcosm of what we are dealing with every day in America. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I think that's a great way to to look at it, right? And you know, for all his his faults, like John Dutton, and I think this is very common for you know even like a Jeff Bezos or someone like that would never wouldn't think that they are mistreating their workers, right? right. I think John Dutton would say, "What are you talking about? I gave Jimmy Rip a second chance at life," um, and that's that's totally true. That's totally fair. He yeah. he did. Those people were in some some dire situations and, and he helped them. But on the other hand, he also turned them into murderers. He, um, kind of, uh, John Dutton put 
Jimmy in like a very weird situation where he sent him away from his girlfriend. Um, And it's, it's one of those things I heard someone describe a, a similar relationship once as like, if someone saved your life, you would like be so thankful to them and really appreciate them. But if that person kept saying for the rest of your life, I saved your life, you are like, you owe me this, you have to go kill this guy for me, you owe me this percent, you would, you would view that as like, sort of like a quasi abusive relationship. And you'd have this weird relationship with this person who without them, you might be dead. But does that give them the right to tell you what to do for the rest of your life? Right? Like it's, um, and I just think like, the show's decision to really emphasize the bunkhouse and these, these, um, the people who make the Yellowstone, the Yellowstone and not just empty forest, um, is really driving home like this, this kind of question that America has to answer of how do we kind of reconcile the good with the bad? Yeah. That organized criminality, regardless of what level it's on, you know, it could be on the yellow, the Yellowstone level, or so let's just say an entire political party became corrupted. And, you know, <laughs> anyone who's close to that has to hold a share of that corruption. It's just like an S corporation. Like you're going to be named on the board. You're going to take some financial and fiduciary ownership of this mm-hmm. company. And for us, here's our corruption at the heart of Yellowstone ranch hands, Sons, daughters, you know, relatives, yeah. all going to take a little piece of this corruption and hold it, and we'll equally share it. But you know, that's how this ranch stays alive. That's how it is. Yes, definitely. There's definitely like a weird. Um, I always kind of hear when people criticize like companies, right? Like uh, the one that comes to mind is like the BP oil spill. I think that was mm-hmm. over a decade ago. Now yeah. is. Like there was like this, or even the financial crash in 2008 might be a better example. It was like these companies crashed the economy, but everyone in the company was like, well, I didn't, I didn't push the crash economy button. Like I I only did this. Yeah, exactly. And like everyone's pointing not so much to each other, but back into the bureaucracy of uh, JP Morgan, something like that. Right. Uh, Wells Fargo, like, oh, no one ever sent an email that was like, do do wire fraud, right. but like all together, they, they kind of came together and everyone sort of has a hand in this, this, I guess you could call it like institutionalized rot that the Yellowstone kind of, kind of sources into the the population surrounding it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's probably the most important, like non-personal item because we each own a little bit of this. Like you know, mm. even as wage earners or salary earners in the economy, we pay taxes. We're responsible for our tax money goes. So, you know, but how, how much effects can we actually have on those decisions? Like there's mm. a, a huge disconnect between, between what's morally right and what actually ends up happening. Um, yeah. And Yellowstone really does pull it into a framework where you can start to point to little pieces. And I think that's, that's where TV shows can do as a service that even film can. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I'm very like appreciative of the fact I'm kind of living in this golden age of, of TV because I think, you know, television, um, allows writers to say like, Hey, what, what works last season? What was a little, funky what does it feel like we were forcing um you know what happens if the native population meets this worker population which i think in season three they season three or season two i can't remember but they had a a native woman come work in the bunkhouse and it was this kind of like combination of like you know these two populations that are um not not really reaping the yellowstones the land's rewards but I think it it would be totally justifiable for like a Native American to point to the workers and be like, you guys, white, majority white, I should say, European, mostly settler colonialists, like uh, pushed us off this land. And then workers might say like, yeah, that's true. We're not really benefiting from that, right? right? Like we've all got broken necks and concussions and I have $37 in the bank account, right? And I thought that was a really interesting decision by the writers to take a native american woman who um you know up until that point i don't believe a woman was working on the ranch and and kind of mish these two these two uh impacted groups together 
Yeah, and uh, it is rare in, in fiction to do that. And it was a bold move, but I think it was actually a successful one. Because again, it's all about that poverty. Like the poverty yeah. is the thing that unites almost all of these characters, except for the Dutton family themselves. And they are really surrounded by a sea of poverty that if all of those people were to c- combine and connect and align in their poverty and press, mm-hmm. you know, put pressure into the middle. Yeah the walls would collapse. And and that's ultimately what this story is telling. It's like, how long can we hold these walls up? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like one of the reasons I, I put uh, in my, in my articles class and race together is I think they are, they're very aligned. Right. I totally agree with you that I am not, I mean, this is a podcast. I'm also a white man. Um, I, I'm not one to speak on race, but um, I definitely think that like kind of the, the crux of American racism has been forcing non-white people into the lower class and keeping yeah. them there. Um, well, that, and that and conflict keeps the, keeps them from aligning, you know, 100%. Keep, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's effective. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, and that is definitely something the, the show is trying to illustrate. Um, I think it's very interesting how John Dutton talks about his wealth. And when I, someone commented on one of, um, the articles I posted and said something like, oh, John Dutton claims he's not rich. And there's a line in the show somewhere where he says, despite what people think, I'm not a I'm not a rich man. And this is a guy who flies around in a private helicopter. Right? right. And I think what he was thinking of is like and I do think a lot of a lot of people who kind of call themselves upper middle class, middle class think this way that like they own a lot of assets. They own houses, cars. I don't think the average American owns a private helicopter, but the idea is the same, but they, they might not have, uh, you know, retire at 35 money, right. They don't have $50 million. And I get the sense John Dutton's money is tied up in, in adventure or not adventures, um, endeavors. And like, you know, he's invested in, in everything from, uh, wedding hosting to to show horsemanship and he might not have as much money on hand and it's kind of this weird thing where he sees himself as part of like the almost a lower status he he sees himself as working class yeah yeah it's a very a very interesting thing like one of the things that that puts me up the wall is when people describe like everyone in this show drives around like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar pickup truck right like i'm looking at the (laughs) The trucks they're driving around, they're double wide. And I'm like on Google, like GM or uh, Ram, I think they're Rams, like Ram 350 trailer bed. And they're like a quarter million dollars. But like, yeah, yeah, we all see pickup trucks as like working class. Right. And I think at one point, Taylor Sheridan, who was in the show, literally says this truck is worth $150,000. And I think that is like such a way to think about it where like you were saying the lines between um, race and class get blurred and like John Dutton would probably view himself as like, Oh yeah, I wear a cowboy hat. I, yeah, I, have a I like, ride a horse. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm just a normal guy. And it's like, yeah, he could, he could throw a stone from his front door and hit like a million dollars worth of, worth of vehicles. Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, I, I learned that lesson when I went to England the first time and they told me, someone told me there that like, it's considered a, uh, a show of wealth to have a Ford F-150 there because their streets are so small that you can't drive these trucks down. And so they want to say, Oh no, mate, I'm sorry. I can't go down that street. My car's too big <laughs> and they can only stick to the uh, big avenues. And I, I started laughing. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, now that you say that, I don't think I've ever seen like a pickup truck yeah, uh, in rare. a European setting. Yeah. So huh. And they're awful. That's interesting. I mean, they, they just are just, you know, I, I drive an electric car, so I'm like zooming around these guys and just like, yeah, what are you doing? I know. I'm always like, man, like the car is so expensive. You must hit so many people trying to like parallel park. <laughs> I, I, I live in Denver I now, but I, I just moved from Boston and I had to borrow a pickup truck to to move into my into my place and i just felt like such an asshole like taking up so much of like the street i was like driving down the street like i'm so sorry like i'm taking up like way more of boston than i should be right (laughs) it was like such a such a weird thing and i was like man like this just does not 
this that, does not work. <laughs> that idea of being sensitive to other people's space and the needs of other people, like that's foreign to some of, of these characters that we're talking about. I mean, they would literally look at someone poor and say, that person didn't work hard enough, or they're mm. a drug addict, or there are every other reason except for anything systemic. Like, I don't want to talk about the system being corrupted. I don't want yeah. To yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I think. Like, um, in one of the later seasons, Beth joins like another investment firm and like just kind of shits on everyone who, who is now her employee. Right. And these are people who are, I think one of them is like a receptionist. The other is like her assistant in a, in a very successful company. So I'm sure they, they make yeah. a, a decent amount of money, but they're lower than her. So she just kind of used them as like trash. She fires one of them because he doesn't say the right thing or he's too, yeah uh kiss ass i think is her her term and like they they i do think that is a very american american thing to say like i am in my position of wealth because in some way i'm superior to you whether i'm a harder worker i'm a harder uh, i'm smarter is a big one right and one of the things yeah. i i really appreciate about the show and i tried to i think kind of i think it was in my my third piece the capital one illustrate is that the Duttons are in this position because of circumstance. Their their ancestors um, were, I guess you could call it like, uh, you know, I think there's some skill to wilderness survival, but I think oh, there's sure. a lot of luck in, in who didn't get uh, cholera on the Oregon Trail. Right. Um, and, you know, they were white. If they weren't white, they they were natives. They probably would have been killed. If they were black, they probably would have been lynched. Well, even um, the, the white people from uh scandinavia is that where they're from that, that a lot of those individuals i think so there? yeah yeah um There's like those a weird individuals myth. were looked at as lesser i mean they were treated 100%. as lesser. yeah yeah that's um you know one of the things that that gives me hope about american race relations is like you know 200 years ago i think the people are are germans um irish you know all those groups where yep. uh someone shared a thread the other day on Twitter, like kind of illustrating like 18th century um, caricatures of, of German immigrants. And they were like depicted as monkeys, apes, like wow. horrible stuff. And, you know, yeah. you would never hear that now. So that, that does kind of give me hope of hopefully, you know, one day America can move past like um, pretty the horrible racism we, we engage in now. Um, but back to the point of like, you know, the current Duttons, the Beth, the Jamie, they're working for these investment firms and Jamie is able to afford Harvard Law School right. because 200 years ago, his family was lucky enough, the right demographic, uh, the right sex. I don't believe women could legally own property at that time. Yep. Um, and they set up these walls on this certain um, particular I guess you could particular space of land and this very unique notion of American property rights that is very based on race and, and gender and um, religion, especially in the older days, mm -hmm. um, allowed them to inherit really uh, the rewards, rewards of prestige and wealth and um, capital, the land that produces more wealth um, that got them into these, you know, they're all very traumatized. Yeah, but they are, you know, they are the 1%. They are driving around in these um, these cars. And I think one of the reasons I really like this show and this, this setting is so powerful is because it allows us to draw that line from the founding of the country, the founding of the Yellowstone, all the way up to the modern day. I think yeah. something like secession where it's like, okay, we're invested in the New York Stock Exchange and we like bought a media company and sold right. that to a Facebook. Like that's, that's too it's hard different. to really it's a, trace. It's a yeah. Right. And Yellowstone is very like, we got this ranch. We still have this ranch where we're, we're reaping the rewards of it. Yeah, I, I think, think that is, I think that's yeah. what's missing from succession is that, that, you know, the thing that they're trying to pass down, who the hell would want that? I mean, besides the wealth, but you know, the, the, the only thing that this pandemic has proven to us, you know, across the board is that having wealth just means you're more comfortable in your trauma, <laughs> which there's something to be said for that. There's totally something yeah. to be said for that. And I take it for granted every day and I shouldn't, uh, I'm appreciative of, of, you know, the situation that I'm in personally, mm. but also, you know, everyone is in trauma and everyone has to deal with that in different ways. So Joe, let's, uh, as we, as we round this out, let's you and I play a imaginative game. Let's pretend like we're the writer's room. 
And our job is to land the plane and, and satisfy as many viewers as possible and, and give a happy ending to as many of these characters as possible to give what happens in the final oh, season of Yellowstone. That is a great question. Um, assuming season five, the next one is, is the, is the final one. Now let's say it's the last one. We have one season. Yeah. Um, I will say I, I think Jamie's going to die. I think he is, um kind of out one the rest of the family really hates him yeah. um i can't believe he's he's survived this long i think he he's pointed he's, a gun he's at himself like not part of the family right he's a doctor. that's true yeah um i think you know one of the one of the things i i thought the show did a really good job was like rip is this kind of quasi son to to the duttons but he kind of gets passed off right like uh casey yeah. comes home and and wants his house so he gets kicked out and i think it'll be very interesting to see how the show kind of realigns it, realigns the family um, base. It'll probably be like the Duttons will justify it on the sense of like Jamie betrayed us sort of kind of, yep. but I think there's going to be a, a bloodline thing there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think they will, particularly Beth will, will drive Jamie to, to take his own life. I would say um, as for, I mean, use the term happy ending. I think in some ways, John Dutton would become the governor and through some sort of um, house of cards type political maneuvering, find a way to preserve his ranch from from the income taxes that, that would force them to, um, to forfeit it. And I think we get a last look at sort of the native tribe living in their destitution and... Um, getting so close to finally maybe acquiring some of the land or um, some sort of societal benefit that could, that could help all of them and not just the, the Thomas Rainwaters and then losing it because John Dutton's um, multi-generational capital got him to the governor's mansion and he signed some law that is like uh, any branch that starts with Y doesn't have to pay taxes or right. something like that. Yeah, um, totally. And I think that would, that's probably the, the most likely American ending. And I think that would um, happy ending is a weird term, but I think, yeah, I think that would be um, kind of the, the way I personally would, would take it. And of course, I think there'd be a lot of back and forths and not going to get it. And they, the Duttons get it at the end, at the the last episode type of stuff. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear what, what you think would, uh, is going to, Find happy ending and say emotionally satisfying ending. I guess it's there probably a better term for yeah. drama. So for me, I, I'm with you. I think Jamie has to go. And it has to be a little bit tragic. It has to be bittersweet. There has to be something in there where you see some redemption in his soul and you feel a little yeah. bit sorry for him. I think like the idea of John Dutton as governor, I think that's great. I do think that he needs to have a sacrifice where the ranch mm-hmm. actually, he loses the ranch where oh, wow. you know, okay. despite all of his tricks and, and, and manipulations, even as with his power as governor, mm. something political happens where he's just hamstrung. Like, you know, yeah. as, as compromised as Lindsey Graham is, and he's just going <laughs> to show up on TV and lick the boots of his master. Yeah. And he has to give it up. But I do like the idea of Beth and Rip and all of the cow hands uh, going and buying another ranch somewhere that's, that doesn't have the moral corruption. You know, they, yeah. they build a new ranch. And then I think it's fitting that Casey also uh, goes back to, to the tribe and, and yeah, dedicates his life there and none of the kids talk to their dad anymore <laughs> that, that relationship yeah. needs to be severed he needs to be alone yeah. for the rest of his it life is, it's one of the most unhealthy things i've i've ever mm-hmm. seen um this definitely would not be the most tv friendly uh ending i would love to see like that happens in episode nine and then see an episode 10 where john dutton has to like live without the ranch right, right. like we get some sort of like post Yellowstone. Yeah, like uh, Godfather yeah. 3, the ending where he's like in the exactly, trail. Exactly, yeah. Old dog's eating his food after he has the heart attack and dies. We just need that little yeah. view. Yeah, and I know those aren't like big climaxes that like are great to end a series on, so I don't think we'd, we'd get that exactly, but I think it would be really interesting to see what the writers think of like what happens when this man who spent his, his life dedicated to a cause loses the cause yeah, and like where does everything. he go from there? Maybe everything loses yeah. everything he held valuable because he couldn't rise above it and let it go at the right yeah. time. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good American story. 
I do. I think yeah. it's, it's unique. Well, anything else that is in your, your mind about Yellowstone or 1883, Joe, that you wanted to get off? Um, you know, I think we, we hit most of it, especially on Yellowstone. I am super excited for, for 1883, I will say. And like, you know, I know we're only halfway through season one. I am, I'm really psyched to see how they, yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. He makes me want to cry when I watch that show. Like, I feel like he's crying with everything he says. There's just so much pain in that man. I know. And he is, and like, it's such a, a cool world and a cool is a weird world. Uh, it's a, be- it's a beautiful world. and deadly world. It reminds me of a yeah. McCarthy novel come to life. 100%. Yeah. There was some line where um, I cannot remember the the character's name, but the, the narrator, the young woman where she's like, uh, says something like, why would God invent the flowers and hide snakes beneath them? And that is like lived in my head for like yeah. weeks. Well, that lady and, got her ass bit by a snake in that scene. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I am very excited to see how they they kind of tie these two together. And, you know, a lot of the things we talked about, about, um, like you mentioned the first scene of 1883, it's yeah. um, the woman saying to the the native who is actively murdering and uh, raping her family, like, why would you do this? And he says, well, you people do this, right? And I am so excited to see how these these writers um, really kind of kind of handle this and make, yeah. make the audience think about this this situation. And kind of what is the the cradle of the the country we live in. I love the idea that two shows that are of similar theme can reflect the other so that it really gives, and I think a better call Saul and Breaking Bad here. Like those two shows, when they are put together, just give you this prism to look through from different angles and different characters that is so compelling and unique. You just can't do that in films, really. You can't do that in video games or novels, even Well, novels you probably can, but you know, it's so visually compelling to to see this in television Mm -hmm. format that um, I think it's going to be one of the most successful shows this year. I think it's going to take a ton of awards and it deserves every one of them. Yeah. I mean, not that I, if I had voting power or anything, I I probably would have handed Sam Elliott every Every award in the in the academy and well, it's not uh, like probably, Tim McGraw is a slouch. I mean, those two on true. screen are on fire, dude. They're just what, yeah. When they said when they announced Tim McGraw, I was kind of like, oh, they're going for like you know, go attract the country music audience. And right. then I like watched it. And I was yeah, like, he's an holy actor. shit. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't play. I feel, what was he in The Blind Side and a couple other films? Yeah, but yeah. this is his like this is his role. It's his Tony Soprano role. 100 percent. yeah he he looks like it even like the way like his i don't know like his facial hair grows yep. and stuff and he is just like and that's his wife, and, right? uh, he's acting with his it wife. Is? Awesome. yeah um faith faith hill? faith hill yeah um when they said like country music couple i was kind of rolling my eyes a little yeah. bit and then i was like no it's legit yeah episode one i was googling to make sure i these were the people <laughs> i thought they were and i was like oh my god yeah but and, I am and the cowboy man. It was just like when that, when that I love that guy. That was that was my favorite guy. And I was like, okay, this oh, show is learned from Game of Thrones. Yep. Find a character, make the audience love him, and then rip him mm-hmm. away. Yep. As soon as as soon as they got married, I was like, oh no. Bad move. Like, this is- <laughs> Bad move. You don't get married this on the not a show. happy show. Yeah, this is not a happy ending show. This is certainly not a, you're going to spend the next five episodes watching these people totally. fall in love and start you, a family. Yeah. Do you feel that um, like a pandemic fatigue though from watching shows that have a lot of tragedy in them? I don't know about you, but that it kind of graded on me and I'm just now starting to be able to come back to it. Yeah, I... Um, uh, for the longest time, like I, I could not take like dark stuff, right? Like I, I, um, I completely tapped out of um, Dark Mirror. Yeah. Um, yep. There was, um, I don't know, there was one I, that a lot of uh, folks were were looking into. Um, I can't remember what it was, but I just remember looking at it and being like, "That's too depressing for me mm-hmm. right now, right?" Like I haven't left my house in six months. I yeah. can't really take. I watched a lot of like the office and parks and rec just because I was like, I don't know if you can write anything more, more uh, depressing than like what, what the, what everyone's experiencing right now. Um, But as things start to, to get um, kind of look up a little bit, I have found myself gravitating back towards um, sort of the, I wouldn't call it like 100% depressing. um, Cause I do think like the thing about 1883 is there is this, this light at the end of the tunnel. And we know, given the circumstances of the show, that 
these characters will make it, the Dunton right. family, in, in in some form, I should say. There's no guarantee they're all making it. Some of them will get to Montana and put their roots down. Yeah. Um, but I almost think that, like, knowing that, we're in for a lot of heartbreak along oh, the way. Like, I would not be surprised if some of the younger members of the Dunton clan don't make it or... Like roots. You know, it, I mean, it really yeah. is. It's, it's like 100%. Gen- generational trauma builds and builds yeah. and builds and builds. So final question. What is your feel-good show? So when you have to go to like, what could you, what show could you watch over and over and over again that just, you know, it does it for you forever? Yeah. Um, I'm going back to 30 Rock right now. Mm-hmm. That is my uh, 23 minutes. Um, Great show. I kind of want to get a chuckle in before I go to bed. Um, that is kind of how I, I alleviate the the crush of like, when I watch our 1883 on a Sunday night, I kind of squeeze in a 30 rock afterwards yeah. to be like, Oh, Liz lemon. Um, a couple of reasons. One, I think it's the right combination of stupid, funny and smart, funny, right. There's like a lot of really deep cut jokes about, it was uh, mostly filmed like 2008 to like 2013. So yeah. like a lot of stuff from the financial crash. And then also like, you know, sneak in a, a fart joke with uh, Tracy Morgan or something like <laughs> totally. that. And I think it's a, that's a delicate balance. Um, and that is sort of like my, my kind of go-to Joe needs a, Joe needs a smile before he, before he can uh, fall that's asleep awesome. type of stuff. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. I, I'm a, I'm a Schitt's Creek fan lately, but sit, sitcoms, like it's always going to be a sitcom or maybe Northern exposure is one of those shows that I think I could probably go back to and, and feel, yeah. you know, feel, feel that goodness. Uh, it's rare yeah. in TV anymore. It's hard to find those shows. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Even the sitcoms tend to like take a, I don't know, like a Rick and yeah. Yeah. Like they're not as, uh, as cheery i guess i would say if they were sure. 10 years ago or something yeah well tv's fun man it's been fun talking tv with you i think this is not going to be the last time you and i have a discussion about a good show uh everyone friends please go out to substack and subscribe to joe's uh joe wrote is the name of it and um you can find it under joewrote.substack.com google it i'll put some links in the show notes if i can figure out a place to do it uh, you know, uh, uh, anything else that you want to drop or, or got something you're working on that you want to talk about real quick? Um, what I'm working on, I, I just wrote about, um, the expanse. So if you, oh. if you like TV, yeah. Um, I mean, you can talk about the expanse and the oh social implications of that series for so uh, years. Fact, yeah. Let's um, Let's come back. I haven't finished last season. So give me, give me yeah. about a month or so. But, you know, let's, cool. let's come back. For more information on the Red Room podcasts, see Facebook and Twitter. Our website is www.redroompodcasts.com. Email feedback at redroompodcasts.com. Thanks for listening.